Today's episode of the Waters and Harvey Show is an abbreviated version of our live event from this week on reparations in Asheville. You can watch the full video anytime on BPR's YouTube channel. Thank you all for joining us. Marcus and I are glad to welcome you all to another special episode of the Waters and Harvey Show. As you know, I am Darren Waters, and I am glad to be joined again by my brother. Glad, Marcus, not to be flying solo uh, in, in this, this project that we have had going on for a while, but so good to see you here. Yeah, and likewise, brother. I'm, I, I too am happy to not be doing this um, alone. In fact, this is I, I, this is something that I could not do alone. Um, but you know, I, I'm excited to be here. Um, I, I think that this is a topic um, that um, uh, has been a long time coming. Um, this is an event that has been a long time coming, right? Given the uh, trajectory of the show over the last few years. Right. And those of you who have been with us in our audience, and we are so glad to have you all here. I think we were told that over 200 people had registered for tonight's conversation. Um, and we have a great panel that's with us tonight. And I, I want you all to know that I you know, was talking to my brother here about that, about over 200 guests, uh, people registering to be in this conversation. And I said it must be the topic. And um, but he actually told me, no, it is the personality that goes. <laughs> with being a religious studies scholar. <laughs> well, well I, I can't deny that scholars of religion are known to be um, a colorful and lively group, unlike you stuffy historians. So, you know, <laughs> and so I accept that, 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 that jab um, willingly. <laughs> And happily, <laughs> well, it, you know, Marcus, it is good to be here. All joking aside, this is a this is a great project that you and I have been involved in together for for quite some time. Um, we did the last show that was a live show. You know, this is show ninety that we're doing now. We're getting close to one hundred shows, and it's amazing. And you were saying last night that really the topic that we're discussing tonight on the issue of the conversations that are going on, not only here in our city, but in other places around reparations has been a, a culmination really of a lot of the shows that we've been doing. And that forced me to kind of think about some of the shows that we've done up to this point, Marcus. And I think about, you know, the show that we did with Dr. David Blight and uh, talking about conversations around civil war and civil war memory and so many other conversations that we've had. So I think that you're right. This is really a culmination of a lot of those conversations we've been having. Yeah, and I, I would add to that. Uh, I, I think that the previous, really all, um, or, or if not all, certainly most of the previous shows that that we've recorded um, have, I, I think, prepared um, our listeners for uh, what they will witness today, right? Mm -hmm. For the way that we will engage uh, this evening, this very fraught issue of reparations, mm -hmm. specifically for Black folk, right, right, uh, right. for, for, for African-Americans, um, an issue that has been um, really, you know, perennially controversial in this country, um, uh, perhaps ironically. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I think the previous shows, uh, the one you mentioned included um, with Professor David Blight of Yale University, mm -hmm. um, uh, have have been helpful, right, mm -hmm. in kind of priming our listeners um, for a serious engagement mm -hmm. um, around the issue of reparations in 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 America. 
Yeah, and think about two of of the members of tonight's roundtable discussion have been on the show uh, previously. Um, Mr. James Ferguson, who will be joining us shortly, and Dr. Dwight Mullen. And we've talked to Dr. Mullen about his work. We'll be talking to him about his work again tonight. And his work really has helped to facilitate uh, the conversations that have been had here in Asheville around this issue. And I really believe that it has helped to push us to where we are uh, in this conversation today. So we'll be great to kind of reconnect with him to get his perspective on where we are on this. Marcus, I I just want to say to our listeners, too, and the people who are joining us tonight out there, we hate that we can't see you. We know that you can see us, um, but we we are glad to know that you are out there in the audience and that you're with us. And we we just want to say, and I think, you know, Marcus, you're with me on this, no matter where you fall on this issue, we're glad that you're joining this conversation tonight because this is how democracy works. You know, Marcus, you and I've been talking about democracy. Democracy, the heart of making a democracy move is people engaging. It makes me think about the last conversation we had around civic engagement. And, you know, that democracy is hard work. Now, one of the things that you and I did in that last conversation around civic engagement was that we wanted it to be an intergenerational conversation. And you and I have been committed to that. And in many ways, it's what we do in our work as professors anyways, the intergenerational conversations that we have. And we had been thinking about this for a while. And and many of you will recognize uh, the, the name, uh, Malia Graves, who has been uh, joining us on previous shows. And Malia is going to be joining us again tonight. Malia is a second year. She just finished her second year at UNC Charlotte. She is made, She is majoring in pre-med and in business. And although I have tried my best to pull her over oh, into history camp. I knew camp, it was coming. I knew it was coming. I knew it was coming. Brother, please don't do it again. Okay. Please don't right. do it again. She has resisted my efforts. <laughs> efforts to pull her in. But but Malia, you know, thank you for joining us tonight. Thank you for being here as a special guest host. Malia is going to be joining us from time to time. Malia, how are you doing? We know that your your semester, your academic year just ended. So thank you for taking the time to be here. Of course. Yeah, it's great to be here. I'm still, you know, grinding through classes now. I'm taking summer classes to get ahead, but I'm doing well in conversations like this. I agree with Dr. Harvey. They're so important and I'm just glad to be a part of it. So right. Well, thank you for being here. Now there's Something that I want to say, Marcus, here about uh, Malia. Now, Malia joined us in a conversation with uh, the former mayor of New Orleans, Mitch Landrew. And that conversation extended beyond just the show that we did because he had a, a one-on-one private conversation with her later. Um, and he talked to her about leadership in, in Malia in a minute. If you want to say something about that, please, by all means, feel free to do that. But Malia actually joined us on a reflection show that we did about the conversation with Mitch Landrew, and we reflected on that earlier show around civic engagement as well. And it, Marcus, it didn't, you know, it, it struck me that we got a message, at least I got a, you know, I don't know if you got the same message, but I got an email uh, from a former colleague, and I know someone who is still a colleague, uh, Dr. Dwight Mullen, who will be joining us in this conversation. <laughs> now, I thought it was really interesting. Now, I talked to Dwight from time to time, and he has encouraged us with the work that we've done. But that was the first time I got an email from him. And I'm thinking that had something to do with the fact that Malia Graves was on that show. 
right? <laughs> and we'll 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 let Dr. Mullen respond to that when he gets on. But I, you know, I found I found that striking. And he did say, I really enjoyed the conversation that you all had reflecting on those shows. And Malia, I think it must have been something that you said in the course of those shows that really said, okay, now now they're on they're on the right track. <laughs> I feel like the young voices always do prompt conversation in other generations. They're like, oh, they're talking about this. Let's talk right. with them. Let's yeah, see what right. they yeah. say. And yeah. we and we know Dr. Mullen. Dr. Mullen spends a lot of time with young people. And so I'm sure that he was enthused to hear your voice. Now, Marcus, I do want to say here about the, the people are about the group of folks who joined us in that last conversation. People really enjoyed hearing from Seth and Miranda. And I haven't, I, I did have a conversation with Miranda after the show was over with both Seth and Miranda. We had email exchanges. I need to follow up with Miranda to find out what she was doing, uh, what she's planning to do. Um, and people were just really taken with, you know, their poise as young people who were seniors in high school. But I also want to take the moment to congratulate Seth, Brant, uh, Seth Bellamy, because many of you may know, and some of you may not know that Seth has been accepted to Yale and he has decided to go to Yale. And I'm just going to say here, Marcus, despite the, uh, the pot shots that you take at, us, uh, take at us as historians, I'm going to encourage Seth when he goes up to, uh, to Connecticut to make sure that he goes over to the history department and have a really good conversation with David. <laughs> Brother, you know what? I, I give up because I've come to the conclusion that historians are just incorrigible people. So All right. I, I give up. Okay. Well, well, one of the things I want to take the time to do, too, here is uh, not only to thank you, Malia, for joining us. I want to thank the team at Blue Ridge Public Radio for providing this forum for us to engage in this important conversation. We have enjoyed, I think, Marcus and Malia, you can chime in here as well. We've enjoyed the, the comments that you all have already sent in. Marcus and I were asking you all to take on a couple of questions, to consider a couple of questions for this particular show. One was the question of what is justice? And then the other question was, what form of reparations will bring racial justice, given the fact that Asheville, the city of Asheville, has made the decision to move in the direction they passed the, the reparations resolution? Many of you have had a chance to see that. The county has followed suit. Um, other places in throughout the country are having these, these same conversations. But we were asking you all to think about the issue of justice. And Marcus, you know, you and I both said that really when we came up with the, especially that initial question, and I'm looking for it here, that it was our kind of reflection, our thinking about the United States Constitution itself. And, and I just want to take a, a, a minute to read from the preamble of the, of the Constitution and what it says. It says, we the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice. Justice is the first thing. And we did get one message from one caller, who, from one a listener, uh, Hunter Korn, who said, I think we need to talk about what do we mean by justice? How do we define what justice is? And Marcus, we've been talking about that. Malia, please chime in here because I'm sure that this is a conversation that you've probably been having with professors and probably among some of your colleagues at UNC Charlotte. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I that word justice comes up in almost every history-based class. We have to take LBSTs at my school, so they're like liberal studies courses that range for all different topics. I just finished one up on um, Western history and culture. And the whole year, the focus was on e 
equality, justice, and um, I think the pursuit of happiness. And my final paper was about, did we as America fail at that goal of um, forming equality and having um, this perfect union? And I said, absolutely, we failed. <laughs> you know, and I elaborated on that, of course, it was a long paper, but I do think that that question is, should be the focal point of whenever we're having conversations like this one, because it's it's the entire, it's the topic, right? Like we're people and are we failing at making sure that we're treating everyone as such as people? Yeah. yeah. And, and, I, and I think the other issue here is uh, that the, the authors of, of the preamble, the framers of the constitution uh, were, were advancing um, a notion or a concept of justice that quite frankly was not inclusive. Why wasn't it inclusive, right? Because it was really, um, grounded in or entrenched in a very specific vision of America, right? What America looked like at that point in time um, and how America was supposed to look in the future, mm-hmm. right? And so uh, what, what that effectively created was an environment where um, uh, justice um, as an idea applied only to um, a fairly small uh, but but nevertheless uh, elite and powerful class in the United States, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that fact is reflected in the need in 2021 to to have a kind of basic conversation, as mm-hmm. as Hunter Corn alludes to in his email, around well, what the hell is justice? Mm-hmm. Right? Even though this term has this term, as you pointed out, as you referenced, brother, appears in the preamble of the Constitution. Nonetheless, the question continues to haunt us of what justice is, mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, because again, this was not um, this was not a concept that was um, uh, proposed in conversation, right, with the broader American populace, but rather uh, it was an idea that was that was framed by a sort of narrow elite political class, and so we find ourselves now still wrestling with this question. Right, right. We really do. And and we don't want to spend too much time here. We could, you know, Marcus and I get into conversations. And last night, even with you, Malia, it was a really rich conversation that we all had amongst ourselves as we were doing show prep. And you, you I will say that you two frightened me a little bit. I said, you know, these two may uh, take over and, and, <laughs> and really <laughs> run this. But I'm looking forward to seeing you engage our guests tonight. And I want to talk about the guests who are going to be joining us. And, and we ju- do want to say here that um, we're going to do this as we did it the last time around and have, you know, one panel and then move to the second panel and bring everybody together for a joint kind of roundtable conversation around questions that are raised, our comments that come up and reflections that people may have from the things that others say. But one of the people who is going to be joining us tonight, um, he has not been able to do that just yet. And many of you will know uh, uh, Mr. James Ferguson, very accomplished attorney. I'm just going to go ahead and give his biography anyway. Many of you will know James Ferguson here, James Ferguson II. And James Ferguson is the founding partner of the firm Ferguson, Stein, Chambers, Gershom, and Sumter. He has served as the president of that firm since 1984. He is nationally recognized as one of the nation's pre eminent trial and civil rights attorneys. Um, And as many of you know, he is a native of Asheville. And as a high school student here, played a key role 
in leading uh, the desegregation efforts in the city as a founding member of ASCORE, which is a group which stands for the acronym for the Asheville Student Committee on Racial Equality, which was formed in the 1960s. And James, at some point, will be joining us in this conversation. We really wanted to begin with him because we wanted him to give us kind of a reflection on the history of segregation and desegregation here in Asheville and to see perhaps how how that um, how that has um, that experience actually uh, connects with the conversations that we're having around the issue of uh, of reparations in Asheville right now. But what we're going to do, since he has not been able to join us just yet, uh, we're going to go ahead and bring Dr. Dwight Mullen into this conversation, who was going to be engaged in a conversation with him. And we'll bring Dr. Dwight Mullen in. And, and, and brother, I will turn it over to you to, to introduce our esteemed colleague, Dr. Mullen. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm so excited to have Professor Professor Dwight Mullen uh, here with us today. Um, he was one of the, the first um, faculty members uh, who kind of reached out to me and, um, uh, you know, conversed with me when I arrived at UNC Asheville way back in 2013, which 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 really feels like eons ago. Seems like eons ago. Uh, but but a few a few quick a few notes um, about uh, Professor uh, Mullins' um, background, uh, which is uh, very decorated. He's Professor Emeritus of Political Science from UNC Asheville. Uh, he specialized in African and African American uh, politics. Um, among the, uh, the his many academic activities, um, he he oversaw an undergraduate research project covering uh, the state of Black Asheville. Um, he also uh, served in local, state, national, and international capacities uh, with the purpose of improving the delivery of public services to underserved populations. So Professor Mullen has done uh, much over the course uh, of of his career, and we are we are both delighted and honored to have him with us um, this evening to participate in this very important uh, conversation around uh, reparations. So Professor Mullen, uh, thank you for being here. And oh, yes, yeah. Dwight, yeah. welcome, welcome to the show. And here uh, we come, here's the, here's, <laughs> right, right, on, right time. on time, right on yeah. time. Uh, James Ferguson is joining the conversation, but Dwight, again, let me just say, it is so good to see you. Yeah, I you when I when an introduction like that, I know something is coming heavy. I, I <laughs> <laughs> and 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 attorney James Ferguson, thank you for joining us. Thank you for being here. It's good to see you. We have already taken the liberty to introduce you. Um, and I know that many here in this community do know you. So thank you for joining this conversation tonight. I'm glad to be back home by Zoom or otherwise. All right. Well, look, so what the way we're going to start here, you know, James, I'm going to go ahead and and ask you a couple of questions. You and I've talked about this before, but we wanted you to kind of give us kind of a historical perspective on segregation in Asheville. And you you lived through that period. And and how does that history connect with the current conversations around reparations? Well, it connects in one sense in that. At the time I was born in 1942, we should have already had this conversation, mm -hmm. uh, but we didn't. So I lived through Jim Crow all my life growing up. I lived in a, uh, in a black neighborhood. I went to black all black schools. Every time I uh, went uptown, I saw signs saying colored this, white that, colored this, white that. Um, and when I was in high school, it, it, it was so crushing 
and so glaring and so in my face that I had to do something. And I got my school colleagues together and we were successful in, 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 in at least hitting the tip of the iceberg. We were able to get public facilities desegregated in Asheville. We didn't even have a city and we, we were able to get uh, some of our fellow citizens, white, to join with us. And we got an understanding with the store owners that they were uh, not refused to serve us, but they would serve us. And we did. Uh, but little did I know then just how deep that whole iceberg was. And I'm beginning to see that now. Even though we have not reached it, uh, we've gone a little bit further than we did when Asheville and the rest of the South had its own form of apartheid. Mm -hmm. um, and so we come now to where at least we see discussions of racial issues um, every day on TV, in the news. Uh, there is some issue of uh, a manifestation right. of racism, and we talk about it. And hopefully, we're going to get beyond that one day. Mm -hmm. I'd like to say one day soon, as I thought a long time ago, but uh, soon has already passed. You're listening to The Waters and Harvey Show. We'll be back after a short break. Welcome back to The Waters and Harvey Show on Blue Ridge Public Radio. We continue our live event from this week on reparations in Asheville. Well, I can tell you, uh, James, I deeply appreciate your continued optimism. It reminds me of conversations that I had with uh, with Dr. John Hope Franklin, too, that he remained even, you know, in the face of some of the difficulties that he had faced over his life. I think about Marcus, you and I have talked about Tulsa, Tulsa, Oklahoma, and what occurred there, that he was directly impacted by that because his family lived in Tulsa and the Tulsa riots separated kept he and his family separated for up to two years. And he writes about that in his autobiography. But what I find amazing is the, the continued optimism that that his generation, James, and your generation has kept. But let me let Malia or, or Marcus join this conversation if there's something that they that they want to kind of add here. Yeah. And so so again, uh, uh, Attorney Ferguson, thanks so much for uh, for being here. It's, it's nice to see you again. Um, it's been a while since we've seen each other. So, again, it's, it's, it's nice to have you here okay. and to see you and to, for you to be a part of this uh, this conversation. Uh, so 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 one of the issues that um, that Darren and I have been have been discussing late, lately, uh, which which I think might um, might uh, uh, clarify or focus um, a little bit um the 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 earlier issue that i raised around the question of what is justice right it, it's also it, it's also related to or, or this is essentially the question that um the, one of our listeners hunter corn uh posed in an email to us what is justice mm -hmm. uh so so one of the issues that i've been discussing with with darren has to do with this idea of corrective justice and i'm curious to hear from you uh attorney ferguson from your perspective as as a lawyer who uh, who has worked um, in the area of civil rights um, and also in other areas, uh, uh, whether or not that idea makes sense to you? Um, and if so, what, what, might, what might that mean? What might corrective justice mean? Uh, and, why, and what might it look like uh, sort of practically? And, in, and in James, legal 
them. And James, if I could jump in here too with Marcus too, and Malia, please don't let me cut you off. But there was also another term that came in from another listener, uh, John Welsh, who's a colleague at Western Carolina University. We, we got an email late from him, late today from him. And he used a term that I had not heard before, but I think it kind of connects, it might connect with this term corrective justice. And Marcus, you and I talked about this just before we came on air. Um, he used a term called restorative justice. And is that a term that you're hearing and that you're familiar with? First of all, let me just say how much I'm, I appreciate the opportunity to to join this conversation. Uh, with reference to justice, let me, let me say this. When you, when you ask, what is justice? The only honest answer we give right now is we don't know because we have never seen it. Mm -hmm. uh, you can call it corrective justice. You can call it restorative justice. You can call it whatever kind of justice you want to. The, the bottom truth is we have never seen it. And I know I haven't seen it, and I've been pursuing it for, for all my life. But uh, as a profession, I've been pursuing it for the last 53 years. Uh, and it is the most elusive thing I've mm -hmm. ever pursued. Because every time we think we're there, we're not. And all you have to do is take a quick look at the civil rights movement itself. And if we say that, well, the, the true civil rights movement started in 1954, with the Brown decision, Brown versus Board of Education, dealing with schools. Well, the truth is, it didn't happen in 1954 when Brown was decided, because in 1968, the Supreme Court basically said in a case called Kent versus Green County, we told you in 1954 you had to desegregate the schools. Well, you haven't done it, so we're telling you again now. And what we mean by now is now. And if I look at Charlotte school system right now, now meant 50 years from then, 60 years from then, because it still hasn't happened. And mm -hmm. there's no place you can look at and say we've achieved that. We thought we had it when we desegregated public facilities in the early 1960s, and we found that we didn't have it. We thought we had it when we got a voting rights law in 1965, and we didn't have it. We thought we had it in 1964, when we had the Civil Rights Act of 1964, and we didn't have it. We thought we had it in 1968 when we passed the Fair Housing Law. Mm -hmm. have it. So the truth of the matter is, we continue to pursue it. And it, it's ironic that, that today, uh, we have to be optimistic. We don't have the option of jumping off the slave ship, mm -hmm. because the ship has already landed. All right. We're here, and we got to do something while we're here and where we are. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're pursuing now. And that's why every day when you pick up the paper or you turn on the TV and you look at the news, there is some statement or some news item about justice being pursued. Mm -hmm. A lot of people thought when the George Floyd case was resolved with a jury ruling in favor of, 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 uh, of, of the prosecution and convicting the officer, a lot of people rejoiced, and they rejoiced thinking that, ah, oh, we've finally seen justice. But when they looked around, they saw cops still killing, white cops still killing black people as the Floyd decision was being announced. Mm -hmm. And we see it today, and it continues. So uh, I don't mean to be facetious about it, but we don't know what justice is because we've never seen justice. And we continue to hope that one day and one day soon, 
we'll see justice. I think Asheville uh, and, and, and one or two other, or maybe one other city in, in North Carolina uh, is making a serious effort at getting to it by calling for reparations. But when we call for reparations, nobody knows what reparations is. We have people mm-hmm. saying, it's this, it's that, it's the other. Somebody said, well, it's, it's, it's reparations as long as you don't give anybody individually any money. Well, mm-hmm. individually, everybody, <laughs> by the racism the slave trade, mm-hmm. still continue to feel the, the wounds of that today. Now, restorative justice, uh, uh, Marcus, I think you were asking me about, and uh, corrective justice. All of that really suggests that we haven't yet seen justice, so we keep looking for a different kind of justice. Mm-hmm. If, we justice if we can find restorative justice, we'll see what justice is. Mm-hmm. If we can find corrective justice, we'll see what justice is. So all of those are, 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 are more direct pursuits of this justice that has been so elusive over the centuries. And, and, and in a nutshell, corrective is justice. Corrective justice uh, is where you seek justice, not so much to punish as to correct the circumstances and situation right. led to the wrong in the, in the first place. Well, restorative justice is that justice restores uh, rather than punishes and tries to find that justice, which brings people together rather than right. Further apart. I, absolutely, I, I, absolutely. Well, I tell you, James, thank you, thank you for that. And I, I imagine as we as we listen to you and we think about uh, Dr. <laughs> Mullen, and to bring him into this conversation, I'm imagining Dwight that you've got a lot of responses and um, a lot that you can build off of here. Um, one of the things that I, one of the things that we talked to you about, and and we did want to hear from you, um, if you can, is to tell us a bit about the work of the, the history of the state of Black Asheville, which has been so important to many of the community conversations that have happened here. Um, what has your research shown through that? And why would a program of reparations be uh, begin to address some of the findings of your research? But by all means, please build off of some of the things that you heard Attorney James Ferguson uh, raise. Yeah, yeah. You know, honestly, I am, I am not, this is out of my field and I feel philosophical about this this beginning to a very pragmatic approach to to, to to justice. But philosophically, sometimes I think of justice as being an, an ongoing end. In other words, it's not something we achieve, but something that is process. Mm. And and for me, it's the, it, and I know, forgive me, but it's you all being professors that bring this out. All right, I'm just looking at these books behind my brother Ferguson, and I, I'm 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 struck to be philosophical about this, and that <laughs> it's 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 the, it's the civic mind's attempt to love, and and you know as 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 a secular approach to having mercy with each other, this is not the kind of place that has a history of doing that, especially across race. We don't love across race. We don't have mercy across mm, race. Mm, mm. And so there's no justice with, with, when we talk about race. And so my personal perspective on this is that, I, my, my, my professional perspective on this, what I've tried to do with the state of Black Asheville is point towards the implementation of the public policy areas that we've agreed have to be done. And say, so your heart, your mind, your philosophy is yours. You do what you want to. The specialists are there to help you out. That is not what I want to do. 
Um, I, I am too old to be waiting for folk to change their minds and start loving. That, that's just not what I want to do. What I want to do is see the end of segregation. And that's what I don't think we have seen. And so it's mm-hmm. premature to talk about justice. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I have to acknowledge the street activists, the, the community activists that even brought us to this point who were out in the streets of Asheville and many other cities a year ago this time. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the reason why we're having this conversation is mm-hmm. that young folk just said, we are no more. Mm-hmm. We can't do this anymore. No more committees, no more waiting for the State Bureau of Investigation, no more delays. Stop it now. You mm-hmm. may not kill us. We mm-hmm. can't breathe and we can't wait till tomorrow to start. Mm-hmm. And so that brought us to this conversation of saying, look, you know, where can we implement justice? Where can we implement the beginning of a new day? And for me, it's public policy areas, housing, mm-hmm. education, health care criminal justice and economic mobility are the areas that we as a public have decided to work together on as well as individually. And so the state of Black Asheville tried to measure how well we're doing here locally in, 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 in providing across race and across gender lines um, equal delivery of these public services. And in in 2007, the students began these research projects and they continued it all the way up to the time of my retirement in 2018. Mm-hmm. And not only had not one of those public policy areas closed the disparities, in every last single one of those areas, the disparities actually it growed. Every wow. last single one. Mortality rates increased, educational disparities increased, housing in terms of gentrification. I mean, you hear me getting excited about this. Well, I'm so glad to like let me just do this right quick, Marcus, because I know I, I'm seeing in your your mind. I know you well enough to know when a question is right there. And um, so, but let me take a moment just to remind you all who are in the audience, you know, you can use the chat to submit questions, and I'm sure questions are kind of bubbling up to the surface in your minds as well. So please take the time to go ahead and submit any questions that you might have for our roundtable in the chat. Um, So take the time to do that. So brother, I'll pass it over to you and Malia. Yeah, sure. And and uh, and 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 Malia, feel free to jump in here. In fact, I'll, I'll give I'll give the baton to you as soon as I quickly pose this question to Professor Mullen. So so I'm thinking about the State of Black Asheville project, this ongoing project that you've been working on for 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 many years, and what that project has uncovered, right? In terms of the, some of the inequities that you just sort of um, uh, briefly enumerated, um, I'm thinking about the findings of that project in relation to the whole reparations question, right? So Asheville just passed a reparations resolution, as we all know. Um, what, how do you think reparations might begin to address the findings of the state of the of the of the of this of this of this project that you're working on on on, this, on Black Asheville? Do you think the reparations that a reparations a reparations resolution can effectively and impactfully address? The the, the 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 particular kinds of inequities that that your research has uncovered. Yeah, you know, you know, it's sort of like taking a judicial approach or even a legislative approach is that the laws were changed and cases were were decided. But what what would never happen was that the administrative mechanism was never implemented. And so in what I found in the research that my students have done over the years is that it's fairly consistent that when it comes to the law, it's clear what should be happening. 
And when it comes to the courts challenging that, it's pretty clear on what is not acceptable. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to policy outcomes, the implementation and the, the, the administration of policies, mm -hmm. that's where we find the mechanisms absent. Mm -hmm. and so appropriations that are appropriate for closing disparities are never there. Accountability measures for folk who are implementing the policies are often frequent, often absent. The idea of every, every evaluating this as if it's a real policy and, and, and penalizing and rewarding the achievement of those ends, those things are absent. Mm -hmm. And so why should we do it when the, me when the mechanism we depend on has not been engineered to produce it? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You see? Yeah. And it, and, it's, and it strikes me, Malia, do you have a question? Go ahead if you have a question. Yeah. Well, I, I just, uh, Dr. Mullen, I hear you posing these issues. What would it take as a young mind? I'm just wondering, what would it take as young people like my generation to try and solve these issues, these gaps that you're referring to? Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's different roles that people have. I mean, you can specialize in a public policy area, medicine, you know, in terms of health care, you can do, you know, housing, you can do education, but it depends on what area you're looking at. But one of the overall arching things I would encourage young people to do is to keep your eye on the outcomes. Don't depend on the energy of your efforts to equal changing the actual accomplishments that need to take place. And in the case of my lifetime, if someone had said to me that I would still be talking about this after retirement when I was in college with the kind of activism of the Black Panther Party and anti-Vietnam and the civil rights achievements legislatively, if somebody had said to me I would still be at this level of conversation, I would have said to them that I'm not surprised when I look at LAPD because I grew up out in Los Angeles. You know, I'm not surprised when I look at LA County General because I look, you know, the, the, the hospital system. I'm not surprised when we look at the projects, you know, that's what we call them, you know, dealing with public housing, you know, that these things would just immediately disappear because it's been decided and legislated. Um, so don't be surprised if 50 years from now, we're looking at a different mutation of the same beast. Mm. Don't be surprised well, if this is an ongoing progressive era. And, and so being progressive is another kind of thing I would recommend. Well, Dr. Mullen and, and Attorney Ferguson, we want to thank the both of you for, for getting us started in this conversation. And what we're going to do is pivot now to the next panel, but we're going to bring you the both the two of you back in just a few minutes um, after we talk with uh, with Miss Deborah Campbell, Asheville City's manor, manager, and uh, Mr. King Prater in just a few minutes. And so we'll look forward to an, a further engaging conversation, a uh, kind of across uh, the panel with all of you. But thank you for getting us started and for the input that you you have put into the conversation so far. Thank you so much. Yeah. So if Deborah, we want to go ahead and welcome Deborah and King into the conversation and Malia, take it away. Hi. Yeah, I'm pleased and quite frankly, I'm honored to usher in our next important voice on this issue. Um, Miss Deborah Campbell, she served as the city manager of Asheville, North Carolina since December 2018. And Miss Campbell formerly served as an assistant city manager with the city of Charlotte, which is where I go to school. So rings home <laughs> for me. <laughs> um, but yeah, thank you so much for being here, Miss Campbell. Thank you so much for having me. It's a thank pleasure. You. Actually, and it I'm is humbled. 
Maura. And it is a pleasure for me to also introduce uh, someone who's become a very good friend, uh, both Deborah and King. But I'm going to introduce uh, Mr. King Prater. And Mr. King Prater is retired senior vice president and general counsel at Blue Ridge, uh, at Blue Blue Cross Blue Shield in North Carolina and a board member of Higher Ed Works. Uh, he is a graduate of the University of Virginia. And King, I won't hold that against you since I am a Chapel Hill boy. <laughs> but but U, UVA is a wonderful school. And he's also a graduate of the law school at North Carolina Central University. And he serves on the UNC. He has served on the UNC Asheville Board of Trustees board of trustees. He is currently a member of Governor Roy Cooper's drive task force, which is an important task force that is working to increase diversity, especially within the school uh, system pipe K through 12 pipeline. So this is important work. King, thank you for being here uh, with us tonight. Thank you and both you and Deborah for being here. My pleasure. You're listening to The Waters and Harvey Show. We'll be back after a short break. Welcome back to The Waters and Harvey Show on Blue Ridge Public Radio. We continue our live event from this week on reparations in Asheville. Yeah, I actually want to start off with Ms. Campbell, Some question, a question that I have for you. Uh, given that you're the city manager of Asheville, I'm assuming that comes with a whole lot of power in some of these situations, especially the situation that we're in right now with this um, reparations uh, issue. So, Given that you are a driving force in this resolution effort, I want to hear from you about how do you envision this effort unfolding? Like, what can people expect to see? What can this look like? Sure. Thank you for the question. And thank you for thinking that uh, I have a lot of power. I don't. (laughs) I serve at the pleasure of of, of the council and 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 at the pleasure of the community. So how do we uh, envision this uh, process unfolding? Uh, you've heard from um, uh, Dr. Mullen. You've heard from uh, from uh, Mr. Ferguson about um, how difficult this is. This is a tough question. And I, I believe that um, our goal is to, first and foremost, begin to have a conversation about what does reparation mean in the city of Asheville? Uh, Because this conversation hasn't been discussed a lot at the local level. It's been discussed a lot at the national and regional levels, but and and international level, but not at the local level. So the process that has been recommended uh, for Asheville is that we would have the first phase being kind of um, uh, an information sharing and truth telling which will happen actually over the next couple of weeks, the first one being on June 3rd, which will delve into the past, Asheville's past. And uh, Mr. Ferguson will actually be um, on that panel. And uh, the Honorable uh, Darren Waters will be be in seeing the whole event. And then on June 10th, we will have a session uh, talking about the present and uh, the Honorable Marcus Harvey will be on that panel as well, uh, and, and and several others. And, and 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 Dr. Mullen will be on that panel as well. And I'm just calling out the people that are that are on on this show right now. Mm-hmm. And then on uh, June 17th, we will have a panel talking about the future, 
Uh, and a lot of those will be really young activists uh, that will come and talk about envisioning what kind of community can Asheville become as it relates to, um, to reparations. Following that, um, sometime in, um, hopefully in July or August, uh, we will be forming a commission, a group of individuals that are going to uh, roll up their sleeves and, and dig deeply into this question of what does reparation mean to the city of Asheville. Um, that process will probably take anywhere from 24 to 36 months. Uh, but we're not going to wait for three years to pass without having report outs. So there's an expectation that there will be a report out just about every six months uh, about things, actions, steps uh, that we can take uh, almost immediately, we hope, that would be that would be feasible for at a local, for philanthropic, for the private sector, for universities, churches, institutions, for all of us. If 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 I could digress just a moment, mm. you know, we talked about justice. We talked about. Um, think, Dr. Waters, you even opened the show with the preamble of the Constitution, and I think what is happening to us is. Um, that we are expecting government to create the perfect union. It's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. Government can't. Government has outgrown that role. Community building is a contact sport. That is the, the entire, every sector mm -hmm. of our community needs to be engaged. And that's what I hope this whole conversation about reparations will be. It will be the community stepping up and assuming vital and critical roles related to the pursuit of justice, the pursuit of fairness, happiness, equity. Um, and um, that's what I, I'm, I'm anticipating that uh, this process will, will be for the city of Asheville. Well, Deborah, Deborah, you know, um, what you just said there is what we refer to as a mic drop moment. Now, <laughs> I saw I, I saw King. I know King well enough to know that I saw his face. And so we're just going to invite him into the conversation because I think you you pushed a button for him. And this is King, part of what you have been talking about as well. And one of the things that you and I talked about and, and for our listeners, just for them to know that you have kind of been reflecting on your own life and on your own um, your own experiences. And you wrote a very powerful uh, op ed piece um, that not too long ago that was published. And I think we'll put up a link so that people can get that op piece. But the title of it was interesting. And it's a statement that comes from you. I know you refer to your father in that piece that we are all ancestors of ourselves. And um, but I want to invite you into the conversation now, because I know that Deborah just said something that really resonated with you. And then I'm going to back out. And Marcus, I know that you're thinking and Malia is thinking as well. But Deborah, that really was a mic drop moment that you, you just had. <laughs> It, it, it really was. It's so important uh, to note that, that this has to be something that we address uh, on a community basis. 
uh, on a local basis. Uh, before we go any further, I appreciate the opportunity, uh, Darren and Dr. Harvey, uh, to have uh, and to join in this conversation. Uh, very important conversation. And Deborah, Asheville is to be commended. Uh, Asheville and uh, Evanston, Illinois are unicorns of a sort, right? Uh, <laughs> two, taking this approach right now. Uh, and Darren, thank you for, for the uh, uh, linking to the piece. Um, for the folks who haven't, uh, don't know about it, it's a piece about my, my, my upbringing uh, in Arlington County uh, by loving Southern parents who got absolutely everything right about raising uh, their kids, except for the piece about race. And there's so many people like me uh, that um, as you think about everybody needing to contribute to the community woodshed, uh, I figured that uh, now my contribution right now is engaging in this uh, conversation. Uh, I think wrestling with our demons, so to speak, in the daylight uh, when people can come to help uh, as opposed to at, at dark. Uh, I will say two things real quick also about what brought me to, to this conversation at this point, uh, uh, wh why I was motivated. The first is uh, I uh, was part of the school integration process in Arlington County, Virginia uh, in the 60s. And uh, a woman who uh, I met uh, uh, in the fifth grade uh, recently wrote a book uh, about her uh, neighborhood. Halls Hill neighborhood in Arlington County, Virginia. And I think they're gonna put it up uh, in, in the notes on the, on the page. But Wilma Jones, um, uh, her family was integral in the long road that Arlington County had uh, towards uh, integration. Um, and uh, after the George Floyd incident, I'd been hovering over her book on Amazon for a little while, but I finally bought it, read it in, a, in less than a day and wrote her a letter that I think scared her half to death, but we've been in touch uh, since then. Uh, but what she's doing is she's pulling out the local stories and the local community because Evanston, Illinois is going to have a different solution uh, than Asheville is going to have. Uh, and, you know, that local history, that local knowledge, those local stories and process building even a stronger community uh, that's going to be able to address uh, what what pittance our government decides to to uh Point in this direction. Uh, the other thing that brought me to this point, I, I, well, I will also say uh, Wilma is living Arthur Ashe's words of start where you are, use what you have and do what you can. And I think that's what this, uh, this moment is for. Um, the other motivation real quickly was just a trend that I saw in the last administration to ban diversity training <laughs> in critical race theory. And I got to tell you, that part of my learning was the 25 years of diversity training that I had an opportunity to experience uh, and lead uh, in the corporate world uh, at Blue Cross Blue Shield of North Carolina. And uh, the value of that training, uh, I, don't, I don't think you can put a price tag on it. But to, to Deborah's point and her drop the mic point, right, we the people. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and Ken, you know, thanks for, for, for sharing that. Um, and also thank you for the courageous reflections you offered in the in the op-ed, which I think is 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 recommended, is 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 I think um essential reading um for all of our listeners. Um uh, I, I do I I did want to double back uh quickly if I could uh, before we hear from um Malia uh to sort of two questions uh that I had that that 
that popped up for me in listening to to your comments, to your to your mic drop comments, uh, <laughs> um, Deborah. Um, the first, uh, which is a little bit less pressing for me, has to do with um, your point about how um, the majority of the conversations around reparations have taken place on the state and national level, not the local level. So I'm wondering your thoughts as to why that is. But what's more pressing for me is perhaps a more basic question. That question is uh, local to Asheville, namely, why now, right? I mean, so <laughs> there's a long history of systemic injustice in Asheville. Um, you know, there's, there's plenty, you know, of evidence that has been sort of living in the city for a long time, which has been screaming for, uh, for redress. Um, so why now? Why why pass the resolution now? So I think it was, uh, Dr. Harvey, I think it was just a combination of, I'm just tired of being tired. Uh, mm. I, I, I would suggest to you that there was a courageous step, step that was taken by uh, Councilman Keith Young, who, who said, um, we can... We can go out in the streets and we can demonstrate and we can yell at one another and we can talk about police reform and we can do all of these things in silos. Uh, I think he envisioned reparations uh, as we heard Dr. Mullen talk about bringing um, our view of quality of life from a holistic perspective. You got to have a job. You've got to have health. You've got to have education. You've got, you know, you've got to have good housing. Those are the things I think that um, came to just ahead after the um, the unfortunate um, deaths of George Floyd and uh, Breonna Taylor. I mean, you just you just name it, and I think. Council just reached a point where they just kind of boiled over. And again, uh, Keith Young took a courageous step and said, I think we can do something at the local level. And it was a unanimous resolution that was passed. Um, but that's only a nod to this. This is going to take a lot of hard work and time and thought and commitment. And um, I believe, though, that this community is up to the challenge. I, I really do. Mm -hmm. um, and um, so that was the, the, the why now. And the, the first question, I think, what, what was yeah, yeah. So, yeah, sure, sure. So, so you mentioned the conversations about reparations that taking place mainly on the state and national levels, not right. the local level. And I'm just, I'm just right. curious if you have any, any, any thoughts or insights as to why that might be. Well, I think that uh, <laughs> what we have found is that particularly uh, with social issues, uh, social, economic, health, all of those uh, areas that we, I just mentioned, they're better solved at the local level. Mm -hmm. I mean, we understand us better than the national level. It's, you know, Asheville <laughs> is known for rejecting almost or I shouldn't say rejecting, but they really we really don't like to be micromanaged by the state and federal government. Mm -hmm. You know, we kind of want to do our own thing. We want to manage up, mm -hmm. not have be managed down. Mm -hmm. uh, but but we do think that there is tremendous uh, benefit for 
um, you know, having state and federal general umbrella kinds of things, and then let us figure out our way. Uh, we, we want state and federal to do some contextual things, but the specifics of how and what we do, we kind of want the independents to, to figure it to figure it out. That's why this community, that's why I came to this community because of the the the, the activism, um, but we've got to do more than just advocate. We've got to channel that energy into some real uh, collaborative initiatives um, that will have collective impact. Dr. Harvey, can I, can I jump in here and suggest to you that there might also be a, a, another reason that the conversation starts and, and stays at the national level, uh, and, and that is because uh, it's a political conversation there. Uh, and, uh, and at the national level, we can limit it to 1619 and we can limit it to slavery. Uh, and that way we can limit conversations about American Indians and, and we can limit uh, conversation. We, we can eliminate disparities in healthcare and, and disparities in justice and, uh, from, from that conversation. Well, we hope that all of you will be joining us on June 3rd uh, at the Thomas Wolfe Auditorium for the first of the speaker series, three week speaker series that the city will be hosting. It will focus on the past. James Ferguson will be there. Dr. Bill Turner will be there. And I, I am glad to have been asked by Deborah to just, to just participate as a moderator for that event. So we'll look forward to you all joining us there. And before we leave again, Marcus and I, me, Marcus and Malia would like to remind you that the water and Harvey Show is, is produced at Blue Ridge Public Radio in Asheville, North Carolina, in partnership with the Institute for the Promotion of Human Understanding. And you can listen to our podcast on BPR.org, the BPR and NPR One mobile apps, and on Apple Podcasts and Google Play. And be sure to follow us and get in touch on Facebook and Twitter, and you can write us at whshow@bpr.org. Thank you all again for joining us. We'll look forward to talking with each of you in the, the members of the audience and our panel again very soon. Thank you. Take care. Take care.